0: Tonight, we're going to continue our eight-week series titled, What We Believe. Uh, Hearing these sermons and affirming belief in the doctrines that they cover will be one of the qualifications for membership here at Love City Church. In the weeks past, we've covered in-depth why we believe membership is biblical uh, and why we think there should be qualifications for that. And so you can uh, get a hold of that audio at mylovecitychurch.org if you want to hear about that. I'm really thoroughly excited for tonight's sermon. Um, We've titled it simply King Jesus. And uh, we get to talk about his birth, his life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. Um, I'm excited about this because Jesus is the very cornerstone upon which our lives, our existence, our ministries, and all that we do should be built. Um, And according to John 5.39... Jesus is the focus of the entirety of the scriptures. So all that we have to say about anything as it pertains to God and what the scriptures have to say, it all boils down and comes back to Jesus. He is the focal point. The vision of this church is to see as many people as possible meet and worship him. And so for us, it's totally, completely, only, and always about Jesus. He is our great jewel. He is the good news that we have to preach. And so we're really excited about that. And we're going to We're going to talk about that tonight. We're going to talk about who Jesus is and why he is so important. Uh, If you could turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. So here we're going to see John start at the beginning, or the point where God initiated time and set it in motion. Now, we need to start even before the beginning, right? Because Jesus is a second member of the Trinitarian Godhead, and he has existed always. God has always existed for eternity past, now, that's really hard for us with finite minds to understand, right? Just think about time always going backwards and never stopping or always going forwards and never stopping. Eternity is difficult to grasp, uh, but Jesus has always existed. Uh, he was not begat or created by anyone, and he literally exists outside the bounds of time. And this mind-blowing fact is one of thousands that should cause us to be humble and to worship him. The, the eternal nature of God is something that should cause us really to be in awe of him. The fact that he's never began and he's never going to end. It's it's more than than our human mind really has the ability to wrap around, and so it should just bring us to worship. I'm going to start in verse 1 of John 1. We're going to read to verse 5, and then we're going to read verses 14 through 18. So here we go. In the beginning was the word. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. We're gonna jump down to verse 14. It says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Now, the first thing you might notice here is that there's somebody in this passage being referred to as the Word, right? This is not an ego trip, like uh, our man Donald Trump insisting on being referred to as the Donald, right? That's not what's going on here. Uh, What we have here is the word is one of the many titles that Jesus rightly deserves, and it shows us not only do the very words of Scripture flow from him, but they all point back to him. And somehow his very nature is grafted into the the revelatory words of our sovereign God. Jesus is inextricable from the Scriptures, Somehow his very nature is connected to what we see in the revealed word of God. And and so here we see two things in this passage. One, that Jesus is eternal. And also we see that he became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, this is what we're going to focus on for a little bit. The fact that Jesus came, that he became flesh and dwelt among us. This is a big deal. This is a big part of what we believe about Jesus. Okay? Um, and, And the fact that he came, all of time is split by this event. All of time before him counted down to his coming, right? B.C. stands for what? Before Christ. Good, that's awesome. History class was a while ago. That's okay. You'll get another chance. Um, right, B.C. is before Christ. And the calendar starts again at his arrival, right? A.D. This one's a little bit harder. It's Anno Domini, right? The year of our Lord. So Jesus coming, actually, every, all the way up to his arrival, time was counting down. Everyone looking forward and from... The time when he came, now we count upwards and now we look back to that point. It's the very linchpin of all of history. Now, I know that there's some people that don't like that we measure time by the coming of Christ. There are some that don't like Jesus very much at all. And so they've come up with other terms, right? There's some people that are trying now not to use B.C. and A.D. Uh, they've come up with um, B.C.E., right? So that stands for before common era, right? Or, uh, and then C.E., Is common era. And what they want to do is they're trying to replace any direct references to Christ, right? Um, A lot of times under the guise of sensitivity to those that are not Christians. Okay. Um, These different designations don't change any of the dates at all, right? So whether you're using BC and AD or BCE and BC, right? CE, it gets confusing. We've got a lot of letters going on here, right? We need a chalkboard, um, or I do. So it doesn't matter which system you're using, the dates don't change, right? It's all still centered around the time when Jesus came uh, and God came in the flesh. And so the different destinations don't change the dates at all. So I really don't care. I don't care if you use BCE or XYZ or Shyamalama Ding Dong. It really doesn't matter what designation you try to give it, the reality is all of history hinges on the arrival of King Jesus in the flesh. All of humanity uses that as the reference point to gauge time because it's the biggest deal that's ever happened, right? It's like you're looking through all of history. Well, where's, where can we make the breaking point, right? Jesus coming is a big deal. That one probably qualifies as earth-shattering enough to be the thing that we Use to fix all of our calendars, right? So um, it doesn't matter how many times you try to rename the dates. The reality is humanity measures all of time by the birth of King Jesus. All of time before him was looking forward to his coming. And all of time after him will be pointing back to the fact that Jesus Christ came to rescue, redeem, reconcile, and restore us. Time hangs on the very fact that he came. And it will always be that way. You can rename it if you want. You can try to put different terms in there to, to take focus off of him. But the reality is, it will never change. Okay? Uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, if you would. Matthew chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 18. Jesus came into human history as a missionary on a rescue mission. He came to free and redeem us from sin and death and to reconcile us to our Father and our Creator God. This is the most significant event ever. Ever. There will not be another one to top it. It doesn't matter how epic of a Super Bowl we have. It doesn't matter, you know, what sweet trick, you know, Chris Angel or any of those other guys pull off. There will never be another event. No one being born or no one dying that will ever stack up, measure, or compare to the coming of Jesus. Nothing else will ever matter as much. Nothing else will ever have as much gravity on the destiny of every human, the eternity of every human. Nothing else will ever compare. You go into on Matthew 1. Incarnation is the Latin word uh, that we use to describe Jesus coming. So, Him coming in the flesh, the, the theological term we use for that is incarnation, okay? Um, it's a Latin word, so sometimes those sound a little strange to us, a little hard for us to roll off the tongue. Most of you have probably heard the word incarnation, so you're probably not really intimidated by that. Um, It's a Latin word, and you you might hear the word carne in there, incarnation. Carne is actually Latin for meat or flesh. So, you know, incarnate means in meat. God came in meat or in flesh. I know that sounds a little weird, but um, the reality is, that's a big deal, that he came, God himself came to be a human. And so, you know, you hear, you hear carne in there, and I don't know, I don't want, really want you to associate this with Jesus necessarily, but to remember incarnation being important and that that is the term that we use to describe his coming. You know, carne, I think of carne asada, it's a delicious, thinly sliced steak. And it's used for making tacos, many other delicious Mexican dishes that some of you are aware of. Um, and I'm going I'm to be honest with you, I could eat a whole mess of carne asada tacos right this very second. And um, <laughs> the best I've ever had are in Mexico. And so the next time you, we have an opportunity to go on a mission trip to Mexico, you should not go for tacos, but you should, you should go and have tacos. Because <laughs> tacos from the taco stand in Mexico reveal the very glory of the incarnation of God. When you, when you bite into them, you will, you will feel a deeper connection than you ever had <laughs> to the master, King Jesus. Um, and you may not believe that, but uh, you, you just need to test me on that one. It is true. So uh, incarnation means in meat or in flesh. The incarnation is Jesus coming In the flesh, right? So we're going to read the story of that right now. We're going to start in Matthew 1, verse 18, and we're going to read through 25. You ready? Let's do that together. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, that means before they came together sexually, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This passage of scripture lays out for us the first point in what we believe about King Jesus. I'm gonna give you four. Here's the first one. We believe exactly what the Bible says, that Jesus was born of a virgin and that he was conceived miraculously by the Holy Spirit. This is one of the parts of the truth of the scripture that will be attacked by those that have a darkened mind and have set themselves in opposition to King Jesus and his gospel. There are those that will say things like, that's impossible. A virgin can't have a child. Well, yes, we understand that. That's why it's a miracle. That's why it matters. It's a, yeah, it's a big deal. And that's why prophecy spoke of it long before. We were looking for an event that would distinguish a certain birth from every other one, right? Everybody else getting married and having kids, that's every day. I mean, it's still awesome, right? Life is, it's great. Hallelujah. But it stands out when a virgin has a baby. Yes, no. Right? Let's you you know, hop on the internet tomorrow morning and up pops oh you know, virgin has a kid, right? We're going to, you're going to read that article. Yeah, right? It's going to, Catch your attention. Not something that happens every day. Yes, of course, God had to intercede, intervene, and do something miraculous there for that to happen. But we believe that. That's not something we're going to back. We don't back away from the miraculous because some people want to attack it or limit the potential power of, of an almighty God. I'm not ashamed in any way whatsoever to tell anybody that wants to ask That Jesus was born of a virgin. That the Holy Spirit conceived in Mary, a woman who had never been in a sexual relationship with a man. The Holy Spirit conceived in her a child. A virgin gave birth to Jesus. Her name was Mary. I got no problem with that. God can do way wilder stuff than that. Right? And we see a foreshadowing. This is part of how, you know, I always try to tell you that the Old Testament is pointing forward to Jesus, and I think sometimes we, we miss it. This isn't the first miracle baby that the Bible talks about, right? And there's people even today that medical you know, science and doctors will tell them, there is, you have no possibility of conceiving because of something you know, functionally going on uh, anatomically or whatever. And I know people who have been told that. My aunt being one of them had to have two kids, through, you know, medical means and get help that way. The third one, God just did it. She'd been told her whole life, you'll never have children. So God still does it today. This one's being a little different. My aunt wasn't a virgin. Um, but, uh, you know, of course this again stands out and is a big deal. Um, but God can do this and he did do this. So we believe that Jesus was born a virgin, conceived miraculously, exactly like the Bible says. Um, Seeing Max born this last week really makes this a lot more shocking and amazing to me. Um, The fact that God would come frail and fragile and humble as a little baby. I mean, I know you've all seen a baby before, but like I was in a room as a baby was born this last week. And so it it brought me to this place of thinking like, this is amazing that God would come this way. That he would submit himself to the same growth and development process that we have to go through. You understand this is God we're talking about? Not in any way bound to this, but does it this way intentionally for our good. That he lowered himself to the humblest position possible, that of an infant. And he did that so that he could be with us. He could have done it in any way but it says a lot about our God and it should be an incredible example and instruction to us. Do you understand? God could have done it any way. He could have come any way. He did have to come and he did have to be both man and God in order to pay the price for our sins, but he could have come as a full-grown man. He's God. I mean, he could have just come wandering in town one day and said, hey, I'm here, I'm Jesus, I'm God, full-grown man. Didn't have to go through the whole like being born and Growing up and learning, but he did all of that to show us and to relate to us so that we could see that, that humility is always the right way. He humbled himself on purpose, and it's, and it's beautiful. And Just look at a little infant, man, and just remember that Jesus came like that for you. I mean, he could have just come... F- He could have come on a Pegasus, man, just like raging on a thousand rainbows down from heaven, like, boom, I'm here, right? He's God. Could have done whatever he wanted. He went through the process of being born and being an infant and struggling through life. Didn't even, wasn't even born to an affluent family. Like, if I'm I'm so glad I'm not God, you need to get glad that you're not God. I mean, of all the families to pick, a carpenter's son? He's born into a a blue-collar, middle-of-the-road-at-best family. I mean, if I'm God, and let's just say I decided I need to come as a baby, I'm coming to the richest parents possible, right? Yeah, 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 right? I want to be swaddled in satin from the beginning. But Jesus didn't come that way, man. He came to a family that couldn't get in somewhere when he was born, so he was born in a barn. He was okay with that. How many times do we get feeling entitled somehow in our hearts, man? Jesus taught us a lot, even in just the way that he came. Humble as could be. I hope we can learn from that. Verse 23 in this passage is quoting Isaiah 7, 14, and it tells us that Jesus is God with us, uh, Emmanuel, God with us. How is this possible? How can God become a man? You ever try to think through this? It's, it's, it's weird. Is he half and half like Hercules, one of the demigods of Greek mythology? Is, it, is that how it works? like God comes and has relations with a woman, and so you get a half and half, you know? You get, you get Kevin Sorbo, you know? Okay, true confessions time. How many of you watch Hercules' Legendary Journeys with Kevin Sorbo? There's some liars in this room. That's all right. The Lord will deal with you. He'll help you. We're going to start a support group for those of us that miss that show. It's actually on Netflix, so help yourself. Coming back to it as an adult, I'm less impressed. But um, when you're a young man and there's a guy that can pick up huge rocks and just do whatever he wants because he's just that strong, it's just really appealing, so... Um, But Jesus is way, way, way better than Hercules because he's not half man, half God. He's fully God and fully man. And this is a mystery. This is hard to understand. The theological term that we use to explain the mystery of God being both, or of Jesus being fully God and fully man is the hypostatic union, okay? And that might sound fancy in English. uh, It's really a pretty simple term. Uh, the hypostatic union means personal. And the hypostatic union is the personal union of Jesus' two natures, that he is both divine but also human at the same time. And that's really hard. You almost, it, feels, it seems like you'd have to pick one or the other, right? How can you be both simultaneously? Jesus did this, uh, and he embodied this. Uh, Jesus is not a man that became a god. There are some religions that erroneously teach that and teach that even today men that pray enough, meditate enough, do enough good that they themselves can become a god. They misunderstand. They they see Jesus uh, dying and resurrecting and then ascending and they see, oh, wow, a man became a god. That's not what happened. Jesus is God become a man. And in doing so, he restricted himself from the use and manifestation of all his divine attributes, but he never lost any of them. I can't like graph this for you and anybody that tells you they can I would be a little bit concerned we do the best we can to explain this the, the hypostatic union I think is the best way that that we have to describe it that that's that Jesus somehow restricted his deity without losing it so that he could be a man this is and there's probably people that could explain it better than me but anybody that tells you I've got it totally figured out and I can give you like a you know X plus Y equals Z equation on it. Some things are a mystery. Some things are like just outside of our grasp, and that's okay. And some of the mysteries of God are meant to bring us again to a place of worship. I start to think about, how could Jesus come from a throne in heaven, be God Almighty eternal, and then come and be born of a virgin and be a baby? How? And instead of sitting there Thinking I'm smart enough to figure it out, sometimes the best response is just to raise my hands and say, thank you, that it's true. I don't totally kid it. I'm not sure that I ever will, but I'm really grateful that it's true. Because that very fact that allowed him to come and be a humble high priest that would stand in my place, that he would die in my place for my sins. Be humble, love city. Don't demand always that all of your questions be answered from God. I'm not saying stick your head in the sand and don't ever ask questions. Questions are okay. But don't ever shake your fist and think that you are entitled to understand everything in its fullness. You won't. And some people say, well, we'll get all our answers on the other side of heaven. I'm not even totally sure. Then you're going to totally grasp the depth of an infinite, omnipotent God Almighty who never started to exist and always will forever. You may never get the answers to all of your questions, Another reason to worship. He's that much bigger than me. <laughs> well, glory. Glory. I'm glad. I'm glad he is. Makes me feel really safe in worshiping him. I'm putting all my eggs in that basket, and I feel real good about it. It's a good basket. Praise God. We love you, Jesus. This is a beautiful truth, the hypostatic union, the fact that God became a man in Christ. It's a beautiful truth, and it's of the utmost importance when we consider Hebrews 4.15. Here's what it says. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Is it important to you that Jesus understands what it's like to struggle? Is it important to you that when God commands us through his word to persevere through tribulation, that it's not God coming from a position where he doesn't, he's never experienced what it is he's asking you to go through? Does it matter to you that, that God has literally felt every temptation and every difficulty that you have that Jesus went through all that it is that we could struggle with. And I know you may, you may say to yourself, well, there's specific situations I've dealt with that I don't see in the scriptures where Jesus had to deal with it. The Bible says that there are no temptations that are not common to man. I know that certain sins and struggles take various forms and specific manifestations, but the reality is Jesus was tempted to sin like we are. Jesus was tempted to give up like we are. Jesus was tempted... Align and give his allegiance to someone other than God the Father, just like we are, because it looked like an easier way out. He said no to all of that. And I need you to not dismiss the fact that he was perfect, because I think sometimes we, we we're like, you know, well, yeah, he was perfect, right? We're talking about it was Jesus. He's he's both God and man, but you need to understand that somehow, miraculously, in his coming and in the restricting of his deity, in that hypostatic union. Jesus didn't cheat. Jesus, part of the deal is that he had to go through what we go through so that he could be the high priest that would stand in our place. So when he was hungry, it wasn't like he could sneak around a corner and, you know, Harry Potter himself and, oh, not, I'm not hungry anymore. When, he, when Jesus was hungry, he had to eat. Jesus, after walking miles and miles to do ministry, he didn't, he didn't get to hide behind a bush and, you know, grab a little wand and hit his calves and all of a sudden the pain goes away. When Jesus was tired, he had to lay down and sleep. Just like you and me. When he was vexed, when he was worried and he did get that way, we see that in the garden before. He's betrayed. He didn't just poof and make it go away. He suffered through it and in the end ended up saying, I am I feel like I'm dying from this pressure, but God, nevertheless, your will be done the same way that we are called to do. He didn't get to cheat. And that makes it mean so much more to me when I read Romans 5 that tells me, persevere, son, persevere through. Trust me, and when you're doing that, I'm gonna build character to you, and then you're gonna have hope on the other side. It makes, it makes it matter more when I see in James when it says, don't be surprised, when fiery trials are coming, don't, don't give up, man. Push. Push through. I can follow in the same steps that Jesus did. Knowing that I'm not following somebody that, that cheated because he was God, but he went through it just like I've got to. And that's what Hebrews is talking about. We don't have a high priest that can't relate to us. We don't have a high priest that stands above us just giving decrees. Kind of, kind of like, like royalty dealing with peasants that they have they've never felt the pain and struggle of going through that kind of life. Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. And that's beautiful. This lays out for us the second point in what we believe about King Jesus. We believe he was tempted in every way, but was perfect and without sin. So the first thing we believe, key point, is that Jesus was indeed born of a virgin, just like the scriptures say. The second thing we believe is that the life that he lived upon this earth, he was completely and totally perfect. And it wasn't because he got a free pass. He was anointed and equipped by the same Holy Spirit that we have access to today. What's that mean? That means we don't get to just let ourselves off the hook. That means we keep pressing towards the mark, the call of the high, that high calling to be like King Jesus, to think like him and speak like him, to care about other people like he did. Jesus had to be perfect so that his life would be a sufficient price and substitute for our sins. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to start in verse 1. 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to start in verse 1. This passage of scripture that we're turning to here in 1 Corinthians is widely understood to be the most succinct uh, presentation of the gospel message in all of the scriptures. Um, So if one day you're struggling to explain the gospel to somebody, you could turn to 1 Corinthians 15, read this passage, and you will do a good job representing the truth of the gospel by simply reading this. Our hope here at Love City, though, is that the gospel is is so vibrantly burned upon the tablet of your heart that you, you would not have to pick up this bound up, Paper printing of the words of God, but that it would be so vibrantly alive in your heart that it would overflow up out of it when the opportunity is presented. We're hoping that the gospel is so vibrantly alive for you that any time the opportunity is presented, you can speak it with boldness. That's our great hope for you. Uh, last week we covered the doctrine of the fall. And we often just call this the bad news, right? Last week, we really, we took the whole time to talk about what is the bad news. Um, And here at Love City, we believe it is incredibly important to communicate the bad news because the good news about Jesus doesn't make any sense without the bad news. The bad news is that we are separated from God by sin and that every single one of us, every single one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The requirement for relationship with our perfect and holy God is total perfect obedience. Do we understand that? The command of God is be holy as I am holy. Be perfect for I am perfect. That is the call. Is that bad news for you? That's bad news for me. That's what's required. If if, I haven't told you the good news yet. Just, just imagine with me for a second that all you have is the bad news. Every single person, if they want to have a relationship with the God who made them, must be perfect as He is perfect. How are we doing? Are we in good shape or bad shape? I'm in bad shape. This is bad news. And it requires perfect obedience in thought, word, and deed. None of us is perfect, and so all of us stand rightly condemned before our perfect God and judge. This is the worst news you could ever possibly hear if it were not for the good news behind it. But that is why the good news that we're about to read, this succinct gospel presentation that Paul writes here in Corinthians, I just told you the worst news possible and that is the bad news about sin and our separation from God, but it's that bad news, it's the depth of that bad news that makes the good news the best news you could possibly hear. It should Understanding the bad news should make the good news hit you, man. It should, it should stop you in your tracks and cause you to worship. Understanding your condition without the gospel, without Jesus and what he's done. Dead in your sins and separated from God for eternity. This is where you stand and what you deserve without what Jesus did. Super bad news. But needs to be told so that we understand the good news. It's kind of like this. I try to think of a way, because I know sometimes, man, you, it's a shame that humans have a tendency that because we hear something often, it can become common to us. Do we have that tendency? Would you agree with me that we do, man? Sometimes we can, we can hear something so often and it, it, could, it could be something this profound, this deep, this totally necessary and, 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 and so amazing and yet Still, we could hear it, and it can get to the place where it doesn't quite grip us like it should. And so, this example is, is not even, it doesn't compare to the the real thing. But I want you to just think about this with me. Try to put yourself where I'm at emotionally. I'm going to read a situation to you. I want you to imagine yourself in this situation, and I want you to really connect with it. And I want you to be honest with yourself about as I'm speaking, what you'd be feeling, okay? It's, it's kind of like this. You go to the doctor because you haven't been feeling well, okay? It's been a, it's been a while. You, you haven't been feeling good. You know something's wrong. You don't know what it is. The doc looks you over. You know, he sticks that oversized popsicle stick down your throat, chokes you out, you know. Don't get distracted. I, I probably shouldn't have mentioned that because some of you, like now you're over in, in this land where you're thinking about, my life would be, so much better if there was a Popsicle that fit that stick, right? You're, just, you're imagining what that would be like and all the flavors that it could possibly be. Okay, forget about the Popsicle stick. Forget about th- that part of the exam, okay? Go get a Popsicle after service. Um, so, okay, he gets done with that part of the exam, but then the doctor, let's say, you know, he goes and he draws some blood, right? And he takes that blood sample and he goes out of the room. He comes back in you you know something's wrong you're not sure what he comes back in he's got results and he says i've got bad news he says you have the most deadly and aggressive form of cancer on the planet this is the result of your test are you there with are you connecting with this emotionally with me where where would you be mentally where would you be at in your head He says to you, when people have this form of cancer, that they're, they're normally dead within weeks of us finding it. That's what, he, that's what he's got to tell you. It's bad news. It's a bad deal. Now, I'm not looking for you to be hyper-spiritual right now and say, oh, well, I'll just believe God for healing. Yes, of course we would believe God for healing. But right at that moment, you just found out you have the deadliest form of cancer on the planet. It's the most aggressive, and the best shot you have is weeks to live. Some of you got babies, man. What's that going to mean? That's, uh, that's where I'm gonna, Let me just be honest with you. I'm instantly thinking about my babies and my wife and who I'm going to leave behind if God doesn't heal me of this cancer. I would, that's where I'd go. It's bad news. Your heart would drop right into your stomach, wouldn't it? I mean, just news like that would seize you. But how wonderful would it be if a few seconds later he said, However, we found the cure last week and you're going to be fine. I bet you'd be giving me a different response than normally the one I get from giving you the gospel. I bet you all the cotton, little cotton balls in the jar would be in the air. Woo! We'd be like Elf, right? Making it snow, making it rain, cotton balls. We're happy because just a second ago, you were dead. All you knew is you were dead. Now, I don't know if this is a crazy practical joke on the part of the doctor that didn't say, okay, i got to tell you something first. You're going to be okay, but you got the worst cancer ever. But let's just say he did it like that. He puts us in that position. Whoo! The good news is good now, right? <laughs> it's real good. There's a cure. And this is oftentimes what we do with the gospel because, you know, it would be amazing news. And, and, but you wouldn't have understood how amazing that news was You wouldn't have cared as much, you wouldn't have been excited about it necessarily if the doctor took the blood sample, went out, came back in and said, here, just take this pill right here and you'll be cured. He didn't say, he didn't tell you what you had, didn't give you any more information. He just came in and said, here, I got this pill, just take that, you don't have to worry about anything, out you go. You'd be like, okay, you know, pop the pill and walk out. It wouldn't grip you the same. And we do this with the gospel sometimes because we don't tell people the bad news. We don't let them know why it is it matters that Jesus died on the cross. We'll run around and say, Jesus died for you. Or we've got bumper stickers that say, Jesus saves. Or we'll, we'll say to somebody, well, Jesus will save you. But, but most people today, man, they, they ask a question and it's a fair question. From what? What am I getting saved from? Yeah, he died from the cross for me. Why? <laughs> okay. That's fair. Because if we don't give them the bad news first, we've not given them a context for understanding the depth and the beauty of the good news. Gospel is good news because you know what? Way worse than the worst cancer possible is the cancer of sin in the soul. Way worse than dying a death here on this earth, than the cessation of life in this physical body, is spiritual death for eternity. Way worse And so if you'd be excited about a little magic pill to cure your cancer, by God, you better be excited about the finished work of Christ that heals the sin sickness that would have condemned you to death forever. What would you pay for that pill? Let's get real for a second. What would you give for that pill? What would you sacrifice to have it? You're dead in weeks without this pill right here. What would you give? What would you sacrifice? What would you lay down? And yet we act like it's hard to be a Christian. Come to church, be in community, sacrifice for the cause of the gospel, and sharing the beauty of the good news with people. We act like giving in the offering, like we're being asked too much. Oh, church just wants my money. What are you talking about, man? You were dead. You'd empty the bank account, sell the cars, probably the house too, and, and most else, whatever else you had, right, to get the pill to save your life. And Jesus don't even ask us for anything other than believe that I'm this good and share with other, live in light of it and share with other people when you got an opportunity. I'm not going to leverage this incredible leverage I have and try to get something from you to have this cure. I'm going to give it to you freely because I love you. Just trust that that's true. Just trust that what I did on the cross, that's all I want from you. Trust it. And when you do, of course you're going to worship me. Of course you're going to love me. And, and, And naturally as well, there should not be a struggle to then share that good news with all the other people around us that need that cure. That need to know that they can put faith and trust in the risen Christ and not be dead in their heart anymore. This should not be hard. This should not have to be cheerleaded. We should not have to be led along. We should not have to have evangelism events organized for us. Every moment of every day, we should be looking for opportunities to get anybody possible, anybody that will stop long enough to listen. Can I tell you about Jesus? Can I tell you about Jesus? Can I tell you that you don't have to be hopeless? And it's not just just that they can put faith in Christ and then their, their eternity be different, that they can be with God forever and eternity. That's not the only deal, man. There's hope in this life. There's peace in this life. There's joy in this life. There's purpose in this life. There's the ability to be a part of something bigger than anything else you could ever be a part of. The mission of saving people from hell. I mean, do you not see the dead look in people's eyes? They want to be a part of something bigger than the nine to five, and let's see who can get the most toys before they die. Man, it means nothing. It's hollow. It's, we've done it long enough to know, have we not? Have we not seen that materialism and consumerism and all the junk the devil's tried to feed us, these false gods, entertainment, have we not seen that they are dead idols? that give us nothing? We've seen enough. Let's offer real life and real love and real joy and real peace. I'm tired of seeing people ravaged in their life by drugs and alcohol and all of these false counterfeit saviors. They're lies and their deceit and they're dead and they have nothing to give. They always promise but never deliver. And you, Christian, you, dear one, carry with you the cure, which is the truth, to vanquish every one of those deceptions. Stop being entangled in the events of the day is what Paul calls us to. So easily our feet and our hands are entangled in just whatever. The junk of the day, things that at the end are going to burn and don't matter. Eternity. You have a chance to be a part of affecting people's eternity. In the same way that Jesus has affected yours. What else are you looking for, man? I have a hard time understanding some of the things that I hear. People that are caught up in how they feel all the time. I, look, I'm not, I'm not some cyborg robot that doesn't understand people have feelings, and I have feelings too, I promise you. But can we quit worrying about all the time how the heck you feel? Can I just say, I love you. I swear to you. i will die for anyone in this room. Test me on it. I'll die for you, but I need to say something to you. For those of you that I'm your pastor, would you, can we please get over how you feel? There's much bigger things at stake than how connected you're feeling on any given day. Is that okay? I love you. But we gotta get over sitting and staring in a mirror, whether actually or figuratively, just worried about how I feel. And whether or not I'm offended. Do you understand the devil is, con- the devil is very agitated <laughs> by the potential of what's going on here. A people gathered together on mission with a vision that is all about people coming to know Jesus. With a mission that is all about loving God and loving people and making disciples. You know, that, that agitates our enemy. And so I have, I have seen and I understand that one of the ways the devil is coming against this faith community specifically is to try to sow offense among us. To try to get you really focused on whether someone did or didn't invite you to something. We're on a really important mission, guys. There's a lot of people that don't know the truth about Jesus. And I'm, I'm just imploring you and I'm asking you to prefer unity and the furthering of the mission over temporary emotion. If you're tempted to feel like nobody cares about you or whatever, first of all, at the end of the day, I don't understand why we all feel like we need 400 friends because Jesus is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's never, ever, ever gonna leave you. And if that's all I had, I'm in real, real good shape. Am I not? I mean, you can have cool friends. Some of you know semi-important people. Some of you got friends that got connects, right? And so you like letting people know. You name drop. You guys are great. So, woo, we're good name droppers. Well, you know, I hung out with <clears throat> so-and-so the other day. Oh, my goodness. I don't care. <laughs> woo, good for you. I roll with the king of everything, right? I can stop at any moment and lift my eyes towards heaven And I can speak to the God of the universe and he calls me his friend because of Christ and his finished work. So name drop all you want. Why don't you name drop Jesus more? Let's do that. And invite people to come be friends with him. Is that okay? Some of you aren't going to like that. Some of you may never return here because of what I just said and I still love you. And I promise to God the most loving thing I could do is to say that. And if, and if we continue to be unwise and we continue to let the devil move in among us and sow offense, not only will I continue to deal with it from here, but I will come and deal with you specifically because I love you too much to let you be deceived. And I love all of us and the mission God has given us too much to let any cancer of offense run through this congregation. Okay? This is on every level, not just specific issues that may or may have not happened. We will not stand for strife or offense in this congregation. We will not stand. We got too much to do. We're not going to burp and pat and cuddle people. We don't have time. People are dying and going to hell out there. Do you understand? Is it, do, are you okay with that? Do you understand that we are moving in, in, in a forward motion to do what it is God has called us to do, and we don't have time for the whole group to stop and go, right? It would just be easier if all of us were like, well, I care more about other people and the mission of God, so we don't have to do that. Now, look, Jesus said that he would leave, leave 99 sheep to go for one. If you're seriously struggling and you have an issue, that's, I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about petty offense about stuff that doesn't matter, Okay? Wasn't that fun? Not in the notes at all. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I love you, man. And I, I swore, I'll tell you the truth forever. I promise you I'll do that. I know, that, I know there's pastors out there that the, you can get cuddled by. If that's what you're looking for, this is not a good place. I will love you all the way to death. I will storm hell's gates with a water gun with you any one of you I'll give you the shirt off my back if there's no one around to see that I'm out of shape I'll do that for you but but I will not I will not I will not violate the accountability Jesus has put on me to be a shepherd and tell you the truth and f- many times the most loving thing I can do is to challenge you not popular today I understand that that doesn't mean I can just Run around and be a tyrant. That's not the point. If you ever see me doing that, then run out of here. But that's not it. In the same way that I'm right now standing as a shepherd and gatekeeper over this house, I'll stand in the same way and push back against the devil for your life. I'll kill a wolf over you. You know what I mean when I say that? Somebody tries to come after you, they're going to have a bad day because I love you. They better bring friends. It ain't going to be easy. I'm for you and I'm with you. And the truth is love to you. Okay? Amen. So sometimes what we do with the gospel is we'll say Jesus saves, you know, um, but we don't tell them what, and so that's why we have to, we have to tell them the bad news. And we have to let people know that we are all lost without the grace and mercy available to us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Okay, let's read 1 Corinthians together. 15, starting in verse 1. Now, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3. For I I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to cephas who's also that's peter then to the 12 and after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time most of whom remain until now but some have fallen asleep then he appeared to james then to all the apostles Here we find the third point, what we believe about King Jesus, that he died in our place for our sins. Jesus was arrested, he was tortured and murdered by his enemies for telling the truth about who he was. This is what John uh, chapter 10, verses 31 through 33 says. I'm just going to read this to you. You can turn there if you're real fast. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy and because you being a man, make yourself out to be God. Did you catch that? Jesus did claim to be God. Those who deny this are blind and deceived. This is the very reason that the crowds called out for his crucifixion. There are those that will come and they will try to convince you. Well, nowhere in the Bible does it say that Jesus claimed to be God. Christians made that up. Well, apparently his enemies knew he claimed to be God because they wanted to stone him for it. Eventually, they did catch up to him. Eventually, they got one of his own to betray him. You know the story. Judas comes up, leads the guards to him, betrays him with a kiss. Everyone likes to get on Peter's case, but this is one time when, you know, Peter ended up getting in trouble for this, but I can't imagine myself doing anything different. These, these guards go up to grab the, 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 the rabbi, the teacher, the 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 savior, the king that Peter loves, man. Peter draws his sword, he starts hacking. Gets a guy's ear. He's like, Yeah, Jesus, we're winning. Jesus says, Jesus says, Put your sword away, Peter. You know, we, we see the full deal and we got the whole story, and I, I think we like to look at that specifically and look at Peter, like, come on, Peter. Jesus had to go to the cross. He didn't do you understand he didn't have all the information. Let me be in that group. And someone try to touch Jesus. Come, just come on. Whether I had a sword or not, I'm picking up a rock, a stick, whatever I got. And I'm taking out as many as I can, right? And I would have gotten in trouble too. I'd have been right there with him. I'm a little disappointed in the other guys, <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> but uh, Jesus was betrayed. They took him. False trial. They did it at night. It was totally illegal the way they did it. Everything about it was a sham. False accusation after false accusation is brought. They're putting him on trial really for just telling the truth, for saying who he was. They didn't like that. They didn't like the accountability that was going to create. They didn't like that that was going to mean he was their master. So they beat him terribly. Then they turn him over to professional torturers and they get in on it. And they start beating him. Uh, they give him a beating with, with, a, with a whip that kills many men, 39 lashes to the back. Most, most of us in this room would pass out from the pain of one strike. They get done with that. Shove a crown of thorn on his, on his head and make him carry his own cross member up a hill. He doesn't make it the whole way. His body's just in complete shock at this point. He's is, he is physically destroyed already. And so somebody helps him carry the crossbar up. They get him up there. They drive nails through the most sensitive nerve centers on the whole body, through the wrists and the feet. Continue to throw jeers at him. Say really cute things like, Well, come on. If you're who you said you were, come down off that cross. This is one of the things that gets me, man. He could have understand that no rope no nails no force in all of nature could have held Jesus to that cross it was love and his desire to fulfill the mission and I wish we could have one one thousandth of that determination to fulfill the mission he's given us we would not have to have conversations so much about how we feel or how we're offended if we thought about what it took how much love it took for Jesus to stay nailed to that cross knowing he's the God of the universe, knowing he was there when everything was created and this, this created thing is hurling insults up at him. Again, a great example of a time that I'm glad I'm not him because you better believe I'd have been coming down. But he didn't. The mission was too important and you were the mission. He hung there till he died, and he did die. This is another place where those that want to desperately escape Jesus as master and king, they'll they'll say, well, he didn't really die. Okay, will you please read the crucifixion account before you even say something that ignorant? Not only was he beat the way he was beat, not only did he have nails driven through his hands and feet, they plunge a spear up under his ribcage and pierce his heart sack. Then he's taken down wrapped in a bunch of linens and spices, and put into a tomb. I'm sure he just fainted, right? Come on, it's ridiculous. You see the desperate pawing and gripping at straws to try to escape the implications of Jesus as king, don't you? To want so bad to not have to answer to him as master, to try to say, oh, well, maybe he didn't die. It's ridiculous. He did die. It was painful and it was terrible. Jesus did die in our place for our sins. But 1 Corinthians 15 also gives us the fourth point. It tells us that not only did he die, but that he rose again on the third day, conquering death, hell, and the grave. He didn't stay dead. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us not only did he rise from death, but he showed himself to all of the apostles, and then 500 at one time, and and Paul's smart. He understands the power of eyewitness testimony in that day because you didn't have video, you didn't have all this other stuff. So, eyewitness testimony, man, that was the most solid defense and evidence you could have in court. And so, Paul makes the point to say he, Jesus, risen from death, showed himself not only to all of us, but 500 at one time, many of whom are still alive. That they could tell you that I'm lying if I am. But I'm not. <laughs> Jesus not only rose from death, he showed himself to many that could go forth and be witnesses. Is it not interesting to you? Does it not seem a bit too much that every single one of the apostles saved John died a terrible martyr's death claiming that they saw the risen Christ? John didn't die, but was boiled in oil and they couldn't kill him. How many of you could sit in a vat of boiling oil all the time? All you have to do is say, yeah, you know what? I was lying. You're right. You're right. I didn't see the risen Christ. And you could get up out. How many of you are going to sit there and take that? How many of you are going to be filleted alive? How many of you are going to be beaten and and crucified upside down like Peter was? Who who could do that for a lie, and why would you? What did you stand to gain? And So the attacks don't even make sense. They... You have to totally disregard history to to try to say that, no, there's no way Jesus rose. Yes, he did. And the men that saw it went to their deaths, gruesome deaths, claiming it, refusing to recant it. Something impacted them to the core of their very being that they were willing to die, however was necessary, to defend that truth. It wasn't something, it was someone. They were impacted by the risen Christ. He didn't stay dead, he rose. And that very fact is the reason we can lay all of our life at his feet. Everything he said was true. He told them. They didn't understand what he was saying, but he told them. He said, you can destroy this temple. In three days, I'm going to rise it again. And they get all jacked up thinking he's talking about the temple, he's talking about himself. He told them what was coming. They didn't get it until it happened. Everything he said is validated in the fact that death could not hold him. Death had no claim on him because of his perfection. That's the king that we serve. That's why we're excited about Jesus. That's why we worship him. That's why we sing songs to him. That's why we give to him. That's why we lay our life down for him. That's why we do. That's why we should be doing what we sang at the beginning of this very service. In light of all of this, who he is and what he's done. We should lay all of our life down for his worship, for his glory, and for his fame, for the furthering of his message, which is this beautiful gospel. The only right response to this is worship. In every part, in every aspect, in the deepest part of our hearts, and in, in all of life. I don't understand lackluster Christianity. I don't understand half-hearted Sort of in, sort of out. I don't get it. The only way that's possible is that you don't get this. You can't understand what I'm talking about. And only half-heartedly serve him. It's not possible. You can't, you can't understand what he's done and be so infatuated with yourself that you don't have time for the mission of telling other people about his glory. And so I ask that today through the word and by his Holy Spirit, if your eyes have been darkened to the beauty of Christ, that they would be open, that the light that John talked about in John 1, that it would burst through and burst forth into your heart and awaken you to the beauty of this king that we serve, that you would in no way have to labor to serve him, to worship him, to be enamored with him, to give all of your allegiance and affection to him.